0: The Young and Healthy Podcast.
1: You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy
0: Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm a new voice and new host here today. My name is Rosie Bellman, and I'm a communication specialist here at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And I'm so excited to be here with registered dietitian, Amy Reed, to talk about picky eaters. Hi, Amy. How are you?
1: Hi, Rosie. How are you today?
0: I am great. We are so excited to have you here today. So first, I think it's important that you introduce yourself to our listeners and say a little bit what you do here at the medical center.
1: Okay. My name is Amy Reed and I'm a registered dietitian here at Cincinnati Children's. I actually... Um, started with children's in 1999 and then took some time, stepped away from the medical center in 2017, but returned a year ago. So in all total, I've been working with children's for about 19 years. Uh, so a long time. <laughs> I've been a pediatric dietitian for over 20 years. Um, I'm a board-certified specialist in pediatric nutrition. and. Um, Aside from my job here at Children's, I'm also a national spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in the expert area of pediatric nutrition.
0: Fantastic. We are so lucky to have you here today. So I wanted to start with the basics. Can you define for us what is a picky eater and what can influence or start these fussy, picky, or choosy eating habits?
1: Well, I think there's There's not necessarily a unified diagnosis or a term for picky eating. Um, It's something that actually can be a very developmental stage for a lot of children starting at age two. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, um, but there's a scene in that movie where they're feeding Riley broccoli Mm -hmm. and she does not want it. (laughs) And she screams and cries and the parents are like, well, I don't get this. You always ate your broccoli before. And I was watching that movie thinking, this is such a good demonstration of when developmental, like, fear kind. It's like that age when fear takes over. Mm -hmm. That was how they introduced, like, disgust and fear in the movie. And that's kind of what happens to kids, too. Things that maybe they didn't really question or they didn't really pick apart. It's just part of their developmental process that they're starting to recognize their surroundings more. So you're going to see that um, starting in between the ages of two and five. Mm -hmm. It's very common. So a lot of times, if that's how it starts, we just kind of say, you know, don't overreact. You know, don't, don't overreact. Don't make a lot of accommodations because this is something that's developmentally normal. Um, but sometimes the concern happens if it gets to a point where the child is not um, taking in enough to grow or if they're getting to the point where they can't you know, they, they are only taking in five foods or Mm -hmm. they're, you know, where it becomes more and more selective and it's affecting the quality of life of the child and the family a little bit more. So it's, it's very picky eating is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be developmental, normal, or it can be very, you know, severe in
0: some cases where there's just limited food choices. Mm -hmm. So you said normal. And so is that age group of two to five where picky eating is the most normal? I think it's the one where we hear the most concerns about it. Um,
1: as somebody, as a professional, whether you're the pediatrician or whether you're the dietician, um, if a parent expresses concerns about it, I think that's when then you ask other questions. Like, um, you know, do they always refuse the same food? Do mm-hmm. they sometimes eat it? Do they sometimes don't? Like, you know, you kind of go in and ask a little bit about the history of what the where the problem started or what else is going on. Um, so
0: yes, that age group is probably where we hear the most concerns. Got it. And then, are there different kinds of picky eaters, or could they all be bucketed into one group? or Are there different groups? Oh, there's definitely different kinds. Um, I want to say several years ago,
1: um, there was a group of professionals that actually put together a di- like a paper where they tried to define um, like feeding problems mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, some of them are just going to be that developmental stage. And so that's probably the kind that is going to be the most common. Um, some of them might actually have sensory issues that are emerging at that time that is making eating more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sensory issues, that is something that a lot of our colleagues in like occupational therapy and speech therapy will deal with. And, you know, as a dietitian, I have learned from them over the years. But some of the things that parents may not think of that are sensory issues could be smell like a strong smell may not make the child want to sit at the table Um, it could even be their positioning and how they're seated Um, I know this sounds really um, different and you might want to eventually have an occupational therapist on the show to discuss this further. <laughs> but there are some kids that um, y- if they if their feet, if they don't somehow don't feel grounded mm-hmm. or supported when they're eating, they're not going to eat well. Interesting. Um, I used to work in the feeding team, and we would sometimes watch how kids, if they sat in a chair where their feet were dangling and not touching the floor, they didn't eat well. But if once we switched the chair and they were able to touch the floor with their feet, wow. they were able to focus more on their eating. Mm-hmm. So it's just you know things that people may not think about Um, it could even be clothing like are they wearing an an uncomfortable pair of pants so they're not even comfortable so they're not even worried about Mm -hmm. eating so those are just that's the the sensory group is one group and then there might be another group where the reason their pickiness could actually be something that's presenting that could be a way a food allergy presents it could be way some other medical diagnosis presents so maybe it's not that they're picky maybe there is something else going Mm -hmm. on that is affecting their intake
0: such a wide spectrum. Yeah. And out of your patients that you see, how many, if you could give it a number, have parents that define them as picky eaters? Well, I think that's really hard because it depends on the type of population mm-hmm. you work
1: with. Um, I Right now at the medical center, I'm in our complex care clinic, which is our children with medical complexities. So I follow a lot of kids that are tube fed and they don't eat by mouth. So I would say right now, I'm not necessarily hearing a ton of complaints, you know, I will hear some, but when I used to work for a pediatrician's office in the community, I would say, I had at least one client a day where that was their main concern, was okay. picky eating. So it just depends on where you're, where you're, you're, what area you're working in, whether you're gonna find that as being a concern or not. Mm-hmm.
0: And then one question I know we've gotten is, is picky eating a phase? I think about growing up with me and my sister, I was the kid who you put anything in front of Mm -hmm. me, I'd eat. (laughs) My sister was the total opposite. So picky. But we look at her now, and her eating habits are definitely not the same as they were when she was three years old. Mm -hmm. So is this something kids can grow out of? Oh, it's definitely, depending on how it's handled, is something that's not
1: going to be a continued problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, in the in the areas where it might be sensory or where it might be medical, obviously there, there are some underlying issues that would likely need to be addressed mm-hmm. in order for there to be more success with acceptance of food. But that developmental pickiness that happens between two and five, um, that's usually where we, where, where we, we assume a kid's going to grow out of it, but we still want to give parents support to get through that phase. We don't want to ignore those concerns because mm-hmm. those are real concerns to those families.
0: And then what support would you offer through those phases? So if
1: it's like a developmentally picky phase, like that two to five mm-hmm. age, some of the things that we'll ask is, so what are family meals like? Are you eating as a family? Um, and then we'll we'll kind of say, okay, what is that family meal dynamic like? Are you constantly trying to have your kid eat with them their food? Or do you focus on something other than the food? So, um, you know, ideally we want families eating meals together. Mm-hmm. We don't, necessarily want to see parents eating and then the kids eating a separate meal because kids are going to learn their intake style from their parents so the best thing to do is to model it for them you know we want to make sure it's not a stressful dinner table so if you have one picky eater at the table and that whole dinner time is spent with the parents saying one more bite come on please Mm -hmm. try it for me that makes it unpleasant for everybody so then we might recommend well, maybe introduce like questions at dinner, maybe have a question jar that you ask, or maybe put your kids in charge of doing something at dinner, like setting the table or having your child go around and ask everybody their highs and lows. What was the best part of the day? What was your not so good part of the day? So that way the focus is off of the food. Got and it. I think a lot of families find when the focus is off of the food and how much their kids are eating, they actually do a little bit better mm-hmm. because it's
0: not, it's not so pressure filled. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I feel as another thing that could add pressure mm-hmm. to picky eaters is siblings. Yes. One sibling doesn't have to do something, but the other one does. How can parents handle that so there's no turmoil at the dinner table when one sibling has to eat that extra vegetable mm-hmm. or that extra fruit?
1: Well, I think the one thing that I think is good is if parents at this stage would maybe start to encourage doing meals family style as opposed to pre-plating. Okay. So a lot of times families will get in the habit of, I'm just going to pre-plate their food. Well, that kind of takes a lot of control away from the child. So if you do family style, you can ask the child, um, would you like your green beans there or Mm -hmm. would you like them here? Would you like two green beans or three green beans? Um... And everybody's being offered the same food. When a meal is offered family style, I usually recommend that families would provide like a protein, whether it be a meat or bean or tofu or something like that, some kind of grain um, or a starch, whether it be the bread or potato or um, pasta, and then a fruit and a vegetable. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't serve fruits and vegetables, um, but I think it's good to serve both because... You know, vegetables are great. Fruits are great. (laughs) But there's a lot of kids that don't necessarily like vegetables. And there's nothing saying we have to eat a vegetable at every meal. Mm -hmm. And the one, when you look at it from a straight nutrition standpoint, uh, fruits and vegetables have similar nutrient profiles. So like a roast, a red pepper is high in vitamin C. A strawberry is high in vitamin C. So let's say you had a veggie tray with red peppers on it, and then you had a bowl of strawberries. Your child may pass on the red pepper, but if they're eating the strawberries, they're still getting a lot of the same nutrients. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gives the child choice. So I would recommend family meals if there's a variety of children's choices
0: and making sure there's at least one to two foods everybody's going to eat. That makes sense. And with giving these choices, when do you insist – that a child eat one of the options on the table or is there a time where you just let it go and they they don't eat that red pepper or that strawberry that night how do you know when to just let it go i would say almost never
1: force a child to eat something i think that what you want to do is you want to encourage your child to interact with a food that they might find to be they might a food that they might be cautious around mm-hmm. I like to really refer to picky eaters as cautious eaters okay. rather than picky eaters. I like that. <laughs> so I should have probably said that at the beginning. Um, because picky sounds negative, but caution. Definitely. Is, it, we want our kids to practice caution. Mm-hmm. So um, so like let's say, let's take the um, a broccoli. Let's say you have some kids that just don't write broccoli. They've never tried it. Well, rather than say you have to eat it, I would probably say, "Um, hey, will you allow me to put this piece of broccoli on your plate? You do not need to eat it, but I would like it to at least be on your plate. Okay. Because a child's never going to eat something if you can't put it on their plate. Mm -hmm. So you have to allow them to be comfortable with it. There's, you know, as adults, we're like, well, we just pick it up and put it in our mouth. But if a child's cautious, there's a lot of steps between seeing the food and putting it in their mouth. Mm -hmm. So we have to kind of break that down for a child that is picky or cautious around food if the child says yeah it can be on your plate maybe the next thing is is, well could you pick it up and describe it to me could you smell it like there's a lot of things that kids can do to interact with food that don't require them to immediately put it in their mouth Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like getting them to warm up to it and you may go for a couple weeks of them sniffing their broccoli or licking it or whatever, giving it a kiss before they might ever put it in their mouth. And you want to give them the opportunity to take it out if they don't like it. Mm -hmm. You don't ever want to force them to have to swallow something that, you know, may
0: be unpleasant for them. Exactly. I love that step-by-step process of creating that healthy relationship with food because I think in today's society, we don't always have healthy relationships Mm -hmm. with food. So what are some other steps parents can take to help foster that healthy food relationship in young children? Well, I think what the, how they, they model it themselves. Like if you want your
1: kid to eat vegetables and fruit and you want your kid, are you doing that? Mm-hmm. You know, like what are you doing to model how you want them to eat? And, you know, it's a big thing. Um, a lot of families will think that it's a good idea to diet together. Well, that's not necessarily always the best model to Mm -hmm. show to your child. If you're constantly telling them that food should make, what they eat is making them feel bad or if how that, how, if their parent is constantly saying, I look terrible, that's teaching the child that I'm going to grow up and think I look terrible Mm -hmm. too. So I think really fostering that food is not our enemy, that food that they're all foods really have a place. Um, there, one thing I d- I've done it w- in my house since my kids have been little is if we make if I make cookies or if I make brownies, yes, dietitians eat cookies <laughs> and brownies, um, I will serve it with a meal. Okay. And I will sell them, this is part of our meal. Like, you don't have to eat anything to earn it. You can have it with your meal. Yeah. You can have it after a meal. But, you know, I've put four cookies out here. There's one for each of us. And then when you've had it, you've had it. Like, you know, and honestly, I, it's a lot less pressure because I'm not sitting there saying two more bites of this and you get your cookie. Mm -hmm. Like it's just the pressure's off. And I look at them and I see them, they have a cookie, they have a little bit of this and they just kind of eat it all. They (laughs) they eat around their plate. So, (laughs) I mean, I know that's not for everybody, Mm -hmm. but that's something that I have sometimes recommended. And I have had families tell me that that has helped take pressure off because you're not elevating one food over another. Yes. Um, I always think, what would have happened like a hundred years ago if we would have rewarded kids with vegetables every time they did something <laughs> well, rather than ice cream? Like we're kind of conditioned. Totally different world. <laughs> we're kind of conditioned to think, oh, yeah. well, this is better. Like if if I have to eat all my vegetables to get the cookie, that cookie is the is the better is the prize. And it also forces kids to maybe overeat.
0: Yeah. So. So important, and when do you think it is time for a parent to worry about their cautious eater and maybe have that conversation with you or their primary caregiver i would say they can go to their primary care doctor
1: whether it be a pediatrician nurse practitioner um, and discuss that maybe look at the growth chart and see like has their growth been affected okay um there's a lot of kids that have limited diets where their growth is not affected so You don't wanna use that as your only thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing would be looking at the quality of life of the family. Um, Let's say the kid is past that two to five and it's like six years old and they're getting ready, they're going to school, and they can't find anything to pack in their lunch and the child's going all day and not eating anything. Or every time they go somewhere, they have to pack their own food. Or the child doesn't want to go to a, a friend's house because they don't know what food. Like, they may, that child may be growing fine because they may be eating enough of the, you know, 10 foods that they choose to eat, but the quality of life is not there. Got it. It's, it's affecting how the family functions mm-hmm. too much. So, you know, those would be things. Or if they're constantly complaining of something like a stomach ache or their throat hurting or, you know, just are even slow, like let's say they had 15 foods and a year later they only have 10 and now they've started to drop to five. Mm -hmm. Like that is definitely a concern. Like continue dropping of familiar foods with never adding them back.
0: Got it. So. And with many picky eaters, I know some of the staple foods are chicken nuggets, Mm -hmm. mac and cheese, french fries. Do you have any tips or resources for parents to help encourage and introduce a wider variety of food, healthier foods, or just even larger portions?
1: Well, I think the meal, the family meals that I talked about and serving things family style, I think that is really important. And to kind of get out of the mind of, well, this is the food that kids like and Mm -hmm. thinking kids aren't going to like other foods. Uh, And and there's nothing wrong with chicken nuggets, but maybe have it as a family Ah. meal and not just have have it be something that only the kids Kids have. Uh, so I think that is really the key: is making sure you're presenting and that food neutrality, where you're not elevating one food as being better than another mm-hmm. food, but just kind of, you know, having it be food is food, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and little kids don't necessarily have to eat large portions because the other thing is, is um, there's a woman, her name is Ellen Satter, she's a dietitian and a social worker, and she studied the feeding relationship for years, and she like, she she encourages what we call the division of responsibility, where it's the parent's job to do the what, when, and where of feeding. Okay. So the parents are deciding what's offered, when it's offered, and where it's offered. It's the child's job to decide what to eat and how much to eat, mm-hmm. or even if they're going to eat. So sometimes telling parents that, it will help with maybe not in, not encouraging food jags, because the child then... You know, you, you're like I have done my job. I have made the meal, I have put it on the table, and I have just told them it's time to eat. But now they have to take over their job. So, and that doesn't necessarily apply to all children, um, you know. But it it's a good good theory
0: to use on mm-hmm. a lot of cases. That's perfect. And you've offered such great advice here today. And mm-hmm. we have one listener who wrote in, and okay. we're hoping you can help her. Okay. So I'm gonna read her story, and then let you give some feedback and advice. Mm-hmm. I recently served a side dish with zucchini in it for my family dinner. My 10-year-old claims not to like zucchini. I used the, it can take up to 10 tries of a new food to start liking it story and insisted that she eat it because I'm so tired of hearing her say she doesn't like something when I know she hasn't tried it for a long time. I usually offer another vegetable on the side that I know she likes so that she has options. But I really just wanted her to try this because the whole rest of the family enjoys it. So I insisted that she eat some. She did, eventually, and got herself so worked up that she started gagging on it. So of course I didn't make her finish it. And I'm wondering, what could I have done differently in that situation? Or what do I do differently in the future?
1: Well, there is hope. If a 10-year-old doesn't <laughs> eat zucchini, um, that doesn't mean they're never going to like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's hope. And now, and the, a lot of times they say the 10 tries. There's some people that say 20, some people that say 100. So there's really no magic number with how many times you have to try a food <laughs> before you eat it, before you'll eat it mm-hmm. regularly. Um, So if that's something that can, you know, maybe help parents relax. Um, I would say in this, if it was served family style um, and they were going to offer a dish that the child was concerned about, I would say you could offer, could you just put, I would say they would consider it a success if that child just let a small amount on the plate. Okay. If, now there are some kids that won't let it be on their plate and this is something, there's another option that they could have where you could put a small plate beside their actual dinner plate and call it maybe like an explorer plate or a learning plate or whatever you want to call it and say, well, if you won't let it on your plate, can I put a little bit right there? Okay. And on the second plate, because then it's at least near them. Yeah. You want, it, you want them to be able to accept it in their space. And then maybe that... If something's on that plate, they know there's no expectation to eat it. Mm -hmm. But they need to at least explore it. So maybe she would take her fork and put it into it. And she might say, you know, it just feels like it's cooked too much. Like... I'm one of these, I, I can kind of get it. I like zucchini, but mm. if it's overcooked, I will gag <laughs> on it. Like, and so a lot of times if somebody puts zucchini on my plate, I mm-hmm. like take my fork. And if it feels too soft, I'm not going to eat it because mm-hmm. I just know. And so that actually could be good information for a okay. to have. Maybe she doesn't like it cooked, but maybe she would eat it raw. Yep. Like, you know, something like that. Um, so maybe offering it in another form at a different time. The other thing would be, is I don't know what else is included with the meal. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think this is where that serving of fruit and a vegetable are helpful because like I said, nothing says we have to eat a vegetable every time we sit down. But if there was a fruit that the child liked more than likely, they're going to get some similar nutrients from the fruit as they did from the vegetable. Mm -hmm. So, and then maybe that'll take a little uh, pressure off the parent to do that amazing so I would if you're arguing if you're si- if the if the getting the child to eat something is taking longer mm-hmm. it, it's not worth it so
0: great some great advice and as we wrap up here today Amy is there anything we didn't talk about today that you would like our listeners to know
1: um I think one thing is is I think the reason picky eating may be more in the forefront now is I think how our child eats has become a way of how we feel we are successful as a parent. Mm -hmm. And I think if there's anybody listening out there, I would say to try not to judge another parent based on how their child's eating, because you don't know what journey it is that they have come to. You know, I've had 20 years of work in this field. So I know there's a lot of ways a child can get to where they are. Um, you you might see a kid that you is not eating what you would think to be a healthful or balanced meal, but you don't know what journey that child has already been on. Maybe they were a child that was tube fed for a majority mm-hmm. of their life, and they're just now accepting food. Um, maybe it's somebody that had severe food allergies that caused severe picky eating, and they're just now accepting food. Mm-hmm. So... I would just say to not judge a parent for their parenting based on how their kid eats, because you do, there's a lot to, there's a lot more to it than Definitely. take a bite.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much, Amy, and we hope to have you back really soon on the Young and Healthy Podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Season One, Episode Eight. This episode was recorded on July thirtieth, twenty twenty-one content on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes our theme music was produced by Stephen Greco. the podcast was produced by symphony pitts thanks for listening and be sure to join us next week on the cincinnati children's young and healthy podcast follow cincinnati children's on instagram facebook and twitter